introduce our speaker. Many of you, uh, he doesn't need an introduction to you, but we have some new folks here that have never met Dale McCauley. Dale, Dale was here in the Quad Cities for how many years? He was uh, almost 19 years. He was here in the Quad Cities. He was a worship pastor at a local church. Then he started a church over in Hampton. Then he worked for an organization called Teamwork Africa. And then he started with the Timothy Initiative. And uh, uh, just a couple years ago, he moved out to Raleigh, North Carolina with Donna, because that's the headquarters of TTI, the Timothy Initiative. And uh, he represents them as well. But really, uh, we feel like this is home for him. His kids are from the Quad Cities and still live here, many of them. So let's give a warm, warm welcome to Dale McCauley as he comes. Uh, let me just kind of get into our time together this morning. Ed, uh, Pastor Ed told me I have to, what, like 2 o'clock? So we're, we're good with that today, right? right. Uh, the Timothy Initiative. We're 15 years old, and we're a ministry that is founded on 2 Timothy 2.2. And when that verse says, the Apostle Paul said that which you, to Timothy, that which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust a faithful man who will teach others also. Uh, for those of you that don't know anything about the Timothy Initiative, uh, we are a disciple-making disciples and church-planting church ministry. We're in 34 countries in the world. Everything that you saw on that video, uh, we are working within those people groups and, uh, and within those countries. And so we primarily focus on the, the unreached world. And so, you know, we plant churches in places that, that there's never been a church. It's not that people have rejected Jesus. They just don't know who he is. And so you can see disciples making disciples. Here's a picture of a, a church in a country that I cannot say because we're live streaming. All right. But it's, a, it's in the mountains of, uh, in the Asian continent. And, and we're just really excited to be able to share with you some of the fruit of your investment. So here's a church that is um, disciples who are making disciples. It's in a place where there had never, ever been a church before. 41% of the world's population is considered unreached. You saw uh, statistics and numbers where there are massive numbers of people and zero people following Christ. Unreached. You know, as I think about this, this terminology of the unreached people world so that you understand 3.5 to 3.6 billion people, what that represents in unreached people group or UPG is this. 2% or less of that people group have either A, had exposure to the gospel, or you may find some people who are actually born again of God through uh, believing in the, the redemptive work of Christ, 2% or less. To put that into perspective, the city of Boston, Massachusetts, is now considered an unreached people group. Wrap your head around that for just a moment. Having lived in the Quad Cities, we know that uh, the QC area is one of the most spiritually dark places in all of the U.S., People are in desperate need, but we also understand that Acts 1.8, Jesus, when he commissioned the disciples, and he said, after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, the Quad Cities, right, or Bettendorf, in Judea, the Quad Cities, and Samaria, which would be a people group 
of a different ethnicity or a different culture that was within reach of you and the ends of the earth. It's not an or, Jerusalem or, or, or. It's Jerusalem and, and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And so the Timothy Initiative, 86% of all that we do is with unreached people groups. I want you to look at the, the, uh, this next slide, if you would, because that is the picture of another church that's meeting in Kenya. Now, I can mention Kenya, but this is among the Pokot people, which are considered an unreached people group. It's a nomadic tribe. Uh, this tribe is found in Kenya, in Uganda, and in Tanzania. And so you have an idea that a church, a lot of people say when you plant a church, everybody thinks of a building. But I want you to stop and think of the definition of what a church is. And because we understand what a church is, it also tells us what it is not, right? And so a church is where believers gather together, it can be under a tree or on a mountaintop, as you saw. They worship the Father, they study the Word, they pray. They fellowship together. From time to time, they partake of the ordinances as they understand them. They're sent out to make disciples, and it's always under the authority of a biblically qualified leader. That would be Pastor Ed in this case, but your pastor or your elders. Under the authority of biblically qualified leaders, and it's always under the banner and lordship of Christ. So that's what a church is. What it tells us, it is not a building, it is not a day of the week, it is not a time of day, it, it's not a location, it's where believers gather together. And so TTI has been a part of reaching unreached people groups. The Joshua Project says, and this is a pretty close number, there are 7,009 unreached people groups in the world today out of a little over 17,000 people groups. TTI right now is working with 1,349 unreached people groups. God has positioned TTI in a place uh, in the global emphasis of missions that is making an impact. It's changing the landscape of heaven. And I, I just, I wake up in the mornings and I think, man, I get to do this, right? I mean, how many of us get up in the morning and look at our what God has put in front of us as far as ministry, occupation, or a secular occupation, and you get up and you say, I get to do this. Well, I can tell you, Donna and I do. We're, we're just overwhelmed at God's grace and favor and blessing on our lives that we get to be a part of a ministry that is really the tip of the spear in global work right now among the unreached people groups. And so we're, we're blessed by that. But I want you to consider a number, 154,937. 154,937. This number represents the number of people every day that enter into a Christless eternity from the unreached world. 154,937 people die every day from the unreached people world and they've entered into a crisis eternity. Let me give you a video, a short, short video on really what the unreached world represents. 
Let's watch. More than three billion people. They have no church bells or church choirs, no Christmas carols, no decorating Christmas trees or opening presents on Christmas morning, no Easter egg hunts, no Easter dresses, no Good Fridays, no raised on the third day, no conquering death, no he is risen. There's no God is love or God so loved. There's no forgiveness of sins, no by grace through faith, no pastors, no church, no Bible study after work, no Bibles, no Christians, no Jesus. And so they wait. They wait for someone to tell them, just like the generations before them. But for many, the wait is over. Disciple makers around the world are serious about finishing the task that Jesus gave us 2,000 years ago to reach every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation. Places that never had a church in their history now have a body of believers who share with others about Jesus because no one should live without hearing that God is love and God so loved and he will come again. Of the unreached people groups, there are 3% of missionaries or mission organizations that are equipped with 1% of mission money that is being targeted to reach them with the good news. That just, again, is a number and a statistic that, that just kind of gets me right in the... Uh, midsection, you know, that sucker punch when you stop and you think that the greatest demographic in the world has the least amount of mission emphasis and the least amount of missional money to bring the good news of the gospel to them. And so TTI has been raised up and, and to be able to be a part of that. And, and our, our kingdom impact this in 2021, and this is fruit to you. You know, not only are we sent out from you as a church, as your missionaries, but the investment that you make and you've been making over the course of, of a number of years within the Timothy Initiative, God is accomplishing great things. And just two things on this slide that I want to show you in the next slide here is that on the Kingdom Impact, this last year we planted 26,384 churches. Not buildings, but you remember what the church is, right? Okay, remember the hand motions. And, and that equates to, now hold on to your seat for a minute because I don't know about you, but it rocks my world and it should yours. That means a TTI church is planted every 20 minutes around the clock, 24-7, 365 days this last year. Every 20 minutes, a TTI church was planted. The other number that's on this screen that really, again, captures my attention very quickly is that built into the DNA of these churches that are being planted where there's never been a church is the verse in James 1.27 about the care of widows and orphans. And so built right into the DNA of these churches that are being planted globally without one penny coming from the United States is that each church is 
commissioned and encouraged to adopt a widow or an orphan or a sex trafficked slave and to take care of them and to be the hands and feet of Jesus demonstrating uh, and investing into the lives of others. I don't know about you, but that encourages me to say, this is something that really makes a difference in people's lives. The gospel makes a difference and how it is implemented uh, just really is transformative in the lives of people because they see the expression of Jesus's love and grace and goodness. I wanted to share three quick pictures with you of, uh, of, again, people that you're impacting. These are two blind brothers in a country that I cannot mention uh, because of the security issues. But these two men have in their hands an audio Bible. And one of our partners is Faith Comes by Hearing. And they provide us audio Bibles to take to the, the blind people groups that we work within. And often we don't think of blind people as a people group, but they're a demographic that is separated and many times an outcast of their culture and society. And so faith comes by hearing these two brothers and uh, they have their audio Bibles. And these are men that are making disciples who are making disciples. The next slide is someone that really is encouraging. Her name is Gita and uh, she is in, um, again, uh, another another country that I can't mention online, but she owns and makes sandals. She owns a little sandal shop. And in the last two years, Gita has led 80 people to Christ. Now she has drawn the attention of authorities and uh, other Hindu uh, leaders, and uh, she is under persecution. So remember to pray for Gita. And the last slide, and this is in Tanzania. Uh, Pastor Sammy is the man in the white shirt, and Pastor Alex is in the yellow shirt in the middle. This is a, a widow's group, that, and they are all blind. And so Pastor Sammy Tabanaka is our country leader in Tanzania. Um, I, I've been with Sammy on a couple occasions, and just a, a great, great leader, great man of God. But again, they have brought together some widows who are all blind, and they're sharing Christ within them. You know, it's not just the, the big rallies. It's not just standing on a Sunday morning and, and preaching a message and sharing the work or you know, making trips overseas. It's, the impact is felt in people's lives, and you are having a part in shaping people's eternity. I can't think of, of a greater opportunity than to be a part of something that is making uh, an eternal impact. The last slide before we enter our message is, in the back I have a table with some materials, but we have a uh, uh, what's called an international prayer team. And there's a card that looks like this. And, and what this represents is you would receive, if you sign up for the international prayer team, you would receive... Uh, prayer requests from the field through TTI in real time, uh, one at least once a month, probably twice a month, we send out what we call an e-blast. And on the e-blast, you're simply receiving prayer requests that are coming in directly from the field. Uh, many times they're, they're not even, uh, the spelling or the grammar is not corrected. It, it can be in broken English, but you're going to receive those prayer requests. And we ask you to do three things. Open the email and read it pray over it, and then delete it. 
many of the things that you will see for the sake of just security for those that are sharing their hearts and sharing their needs. We just ask that you delete it. You don't post it on social media, never post it on social media. But uh, I mean, you can share it within the church. That's fine. But not to put it out there through a series of emails where there's potential for scammers or hackers. And believe me, there are a couple countries in the world today that are watching the activity of Christian ministries in the U.S., and TTI has been targeted. And so we know, we know that we know that there are those that uh, oppose uh, God's blessing and his favor, and they'll do whatever they can to disrupt it and dismantle that. Also on the card, you know, you talk, we talk about planting churches. We plant a church uh, for $400 that plants a church and trains a church planter for two years. And I'd be glad to talk to you if you have any questions on that, but that's on the card here uh, as well. But uh, we'd love to have as many people as possible. Uh, we are building thousands and thousands of people across the United States who are joining our prayer team. And we covet the prayers of God's people, not only as, as a family and individuals, but as a ministry, we look to the Lord to really uh, shape us and keep us close to him so that nothing can hinder what God is doing among TTI around the world. The infomercial is over. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Romans chapter 1. I want to ask you a question. I want you to look around. And I want to you to answer this question. Is this all there is? Is this all there is? My answer to that question would be found in this statement. What got us here won't get us there. I want you to ponder that for just a moment. What got us here is not going to get us there. You say, well, Dale, what do you mean by that? Well, let's, let's uh, just take, for instance, and I need to, I need to go on a diet, okay? And, and do you know that most diets, they would be considered fads, right? I think we all can agree. You've seen the infomercials. And you take this pill, and in 28 days, you've lost 60 pounds. I'm still waiting for that to happen, right? Not that I've tried it, but I'm, I'm waiting for that to be a proven thing, right? But a diet is geared, these, these diets that you see, they are geared to get you to lose 10 pounds. 10 pounds. Why? Because the first 10 pounds really is water weight. And that, that weight that you need to lose uh, begins with encouraging you by you lose those 10 pounds and then you keep going and all of a sudden you realize that it's just not working. I've been stuck on 10 pounds, you know, for a long time, you, you would say. Why is that? Because what got you here is not going to get you there. Some of you knew me when I was quite a bit heavier and I had to continue to change my exercise routine, my diet routine, and uh, all of the things as I made adjustments in my life, what got me here, the first 10, was never going to get me to the 120 that I lost over the course of, of 14 months. It wasn't going to get me there. And I had to constantly change because what got me here 
isn't going to get me there. The same is true within the life of a church. If you answer that this is great and this is the best that we've got, you have to understand there are, and it's, listen, I was in church in, in Lakeland, Florida last Sunday, and the same is true. There are empty seats. The week before that, I was in Rogersville, Tennessee. There were empty seats. There are empty seats in every church in the United States. And you have to understand what got us here isn't going to get us there. Right? There has to be a mindset shift in order for us to understand that what got us here won't get us there. So turn to your neighbor and say, what got you here isn't going to get you there. Go ahead. Wait a minute, that was group, this is a group participation exercise, right? So what got you here won't get you there. Say that to your neighbor. Come on. Unless you're talking about your car, it better get us there, right? The car better get us there. But here's where I want us to be able to look this morning and realize that if we look at just different scenarios in the course of everyday life, we begin to realize that we reach plateaus. And most of us, if we're really transparently honest, we like to settle on that plateau. And a plateau is not a great place to be. So the Apostle Paul is talking to the early church in Rome, and he lays out some priorities and some thought processes for the church to consider that are just as equally relevant to us today. God has positioned the church in the United States to be an influencer within the culture, both here, near, and far. Now, when we talk about being on the field with TTI, for those of you that don't know, we don't send missionaries. We're not a sending agency. What we are is we are a leadership equipping nationals and indigenous leaders and pastors to do the work of the ministry. Just like Pastor Ed, his job isn't to do the work of the ministry for you. His ministry is to you and to equip you to do the work of the ministry. But the plateaus that people settle on, they become really comfortable and they're lulled to sleep with a, a mindset that this is all there is. And my friends, we saw statistics of 26 million people and zero are following Christ. That should stir our hearts. It should quicken our spirits to say, Lord, you have something for me. You have something for us as a church to be engaged in life transformative work that is really impacting all of eternity. If, if we're not bought into the impact of eternal work, then I'd have to ask the question, what are we doing? Why, why are we even here? Now, let me say this. The beauty of being a guest speaker, I may never be asked back to speak again, right? But listen, this is home because I'm not just speaking to you. This is equally relevant and important to me as well. And so as we look at the Apostle Paul and he's, he's saying there's some things that you have to look at, and this is a really quick message, trust me, for the most part. 
But, but I want us to begin with verse 8 of Romans chapter 1. And so if you would look at, I just want to find it here on my, my slide here. The Apostle Paul says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul is saying, listen, I thank God for you because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the world. Could that be said of you and me individually? Is it possible that that could be said of Pleasant View Baptist Church? That our faith, that your faith is being proclaimed in all the world? Now listen, in a sense, it is. Why? Because you support the Timothy Initiative. You support the Converged Missionaries. You are engaging in those who are out on the front lines doing the work of the ministry. Now, we do that financially. And listen, we are so very grateful for that. But I wonder how much prayer is invested into those relationships that are connected on the front lines. Paul is just simply saying, listen to the church. Man, I am stoked. I am so excited because your faith is being proclaimed. People are hearing about you because of the substance of your faith being lived out in a dynamic way that even in the midst of persecution, the world is being informed of your faith. And Paul just says, listen, I'm excited about that. He's thankful for their influence. But look at verses 9 through 13 for a moment. Paul says, goes on to say, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. We'll pause there for just a moment before we read verse 13. But the Apostle Paul says this, I have something to give you. I have something to invest in you. I want to impart that which God is pouring into me. I want to replicate that. I want to reproduce it in your lives. And here's the reason why. It's so that you might be strengthened and encouraged. How many relationships do we have in the sphere of our influence in, in Bettendorf and in Davenport and in the Quad Cities? How many people are being strengthened and encouraged because of the way that we live and the way that we pour our lives, invest our lives into the lives of other people? How many? Now, don't answer that. It's a rhetorical question. But listen, if, if there's a little bit of an uncomfortable um, element that's going on within you right now, listen, there's nothing that I have to say that's really important. I do believe that God, through the power of his word and the presence of his Holy Spirit, is all about bringing conviction where conviction is needed. And it certainly hits me. But the reality is, Paul says, listen, in my life, God has worked in such a way that I have something to give you. We looked at numbers that should alarm us. And there are people that are longing, longing for the good news of the gospel. It's called good news for a reason, right? It's good news. 
It, it moves us from death unto life in Christ. It's good news. And Paul says, I have something to give you. And then verse 13, he says this. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. You see, the Apostle Paul says, it's all about the glorification of God and, and the taking of the gospel to those who are in desperate need to the ends of the earth. Paul says, I am anxious to be with you so that I may reap a harvest among you. Our harvest is the result of the investment to impart something, impart the good things of God into the lives of others. He wants to encourage and strengthen them in their faith. And he says, listen, in coming, I want to reap a harvest. I'm not coming for just a, a vacation. I'm not coming just to, you know, kick back and, and watch basketball all Sunday afternoon. I'm coming for the purpose of reaping a harvest. But here's the text of our message this morning. And, and um, these are really quick. The introduction was longer than, than the points. Look at verse 14, if you would, with me for just a moment. Paul sets the stage for three mindset shifts that are really necessary. And it embodies the call to the church even today. What did Paul just, we talked about, the gospel and faith being proclaimed. They were encouraged and strengthened in their faith, and they were about reaping a harvest. And this is what he says in verse 14. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. The mindset shift that we want to look at first for just a moment is this. Paul says, I am obligated to all. I'm obligated to all. If you are a believer in Christ, you are obligated to all. Well, what does that really mean? We're obligated to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're obligated to take it to those who haven't rejected Jesus. They just don't know who he is. We're obligated to take the good news of the gospel to those who are in desperate need of a Savior. Paul is the one who took the gospel to the Gentiles, right? And, and he is there to show the way, to point them to the one who can change the life forever. So here's what I want us to look at just for a moment. He says to uh, the Greeks and the barbarians. Well, what's he referencing there? He's referencing culture and language. The apostle Paul says, listen, I'm because I'm obligated to all, I must step outside of my group. We are a, a Baptist church. Guess what? Not everybody out there are Baptists. We're obligated to them, especially those who do not know Jesus Christ. We're obligated to move beyond our socioeconomic group. We're obligated to move beyond my cultural experiences, even my language. We're obligated to move away from that which I find myself most comfortable in. I'm obligated to step outside of my comfort zone. But then he goes on to say, listen, not only to the Greeks and barbarians, but to the wise and the foolish. Well, I would look at that and I would think that not only race and language with, uh, with the uh, Greeks and barbarians, but I would say the wise and the foolish is culture and intellect. 
Not everybody that would walk through the doors of this church on a Sunday morning are going to understand the culture that you have developed as a church. I'll give you a point in, in reference. Years ago, when we planted our church over in Hampton, uh, we had some youth leaders that were doing a great job. We had about 30 plus high school kids in our youth group after about two years, and, and, and they were just doing a phenomenal job. And there was a young man one Sunday, I was up, I was doing the announcements, and a young man walks into church, and he goes and sits down with uh, the young people in the back, uh, to my right, the back corner there. And, and uh, one of my leaders got up, and he made a beeline for this kid. And uh, listen, I knew right away what was happening. I knew right away. And he walks over, and this young man, he's sitting down in the back row, and I watch my leader, he leans over, and he's whispering in his ear, and I see the young man take his hat off, and he never came back to our church again. He didn't know. Culture and, and, and uh, intellect. I, I grew up think, knowing that wearing a hat inside was just not right. To be, I, I just learned that. But I see people in buildings all the time wearing ball caps, and you know what? To me, that's not a make or break issue. The fact that he never came back to our church and never would come back to our youth group because this man was offended. And I will tell you that in the flesh that Sunday afternoon, I had to ask for repentance and forgiveness because I ripped a guy a new one. Why would he do that? The young man didn't know better. What about those that come into church and, and they don't know where the book of 1 Corinthians is? And, and you know, do we look down on them? Culture and intellect. It's our job, if we're obligated to all, to teach them, to nurture them, to build into their lives in such a way that it is a winsome relationship established. But we somehow are very quick to uh, just kind of push to the corners and push to the exterior. Those who don't think like we do, don't worship like we do, don't even know what we know. And yet Paul said, I'm obligated to all. Look at the second mindset shift here, if you would, in, in verse um, 15. He says this, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. Listen, the gospel is what breaks through every barrier. So what got us here won't get us there. It's the gospel that penetrates and its impact on our lives is that the Apostle Paul says, I am eager for many. That's the second mindset shift. We have to think that we would be excited to reach those who are in desperate need of a Savior. I mean, they're desperate. 154,937 people die every day and enter into a Christless eternity. What's more desperate than a person that enters into eternity apart from a relationship with Christ? You're desperate. And Paul says, I am eager for many. Jesus said to love God and to love others. The question is, do we really? Do we really love other people? If we did, wouldn't our lives take on a dynamic difference? Wouldn't it be an expression of the work that Christ has done in my life and in your life? Wouldn't it be lived out in such a way that people would say one of two things, there goes the real deal or there goes a nut. 
You know, that, that person is a fanatic. Well, praise God for that. I don't think that's a bad label at all to wear. That guy is overzealous for Christ. Okay, I'll high five to that. Is there something wrong with that characteristic? No. And yet somehow we live in such a refined um, state of mind, right? We don't talk about religion. We don't talk about politics. Man, I'll talk about both of them, not on mic or on camera, but, but I'll talk, you know, you want to have a conversation, let's talk. But the reality is this, Paul says, I am eager for many. Listen, the number one reason why churches are plateaued or in decline is that we are not eager to see people come to Christ. We may say that we are, but the proof is in the pudding. We may say that we are all about seeing lost people come to Christ. Not church attendance, but see people come to Christ. And that's where disciples who make disciples who make disciples, that is what a win looks like to the glory of God. And that happens because we're eager. Miss Gita in her sandal shop leading 80 people to Christ, that just doesn't happen by accident. There's a burden that was, that was overwhelming in her life that her family, her friends, her customers needed to be introduced to the one who can change a life forever. And my friends, if that eagerness for lost people that we are in relationship with, if that doesn't exist, there needs to be a heart check to say, God, what do you want in my life? Where am I really at in my walk with you? Well, the third and last mindset shift is found in verse 16. And it says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Mindset shift number three is I am convinced of one. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am convinced that the gospel is true. I am convinced when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am convinced that he was right when he said, no one comes to the Father except through me. No one. 154,937. How will they know unless someone tells them? I'm convinced that Jesus is not only the way, the truth, and the life, but I'm convinced that, that that relationship that we have with him is the beginning of the encouragement and the strength that we need to be eager for many and to be obligated for all. We could unpack this a whole lot more, but, but I don't have time, and I don't want to abuse the time. But listen, this being convinced of one means there are some non-negotiables in our life that we must hold fast to. We can't be wishy-washy. We can't be the, the, uh, the silent Christian that, that just completely ignores the needs of people around us. If we love our family and our friends that are on the outside looking in, if we really love them, 
what are we prepared to do about that? I, I just am overwhelmed with the reality that I have to be obligated to all because I'm commanded to be. I'm instructed to be through God's word. I must be eager for many because that will be the, the proof text in my life that Christ is working in me. The Holy Spirit is actively engaging me to be uh, aware of opportunities, divine appointments to share Jesus. And I must be convinced of one. Well, you say, Dale, that sounds great, but, you know, are you living that out? Let me tell you about a young lady by the name of Tisha. I was in Greensboro, uh, North Carolina, not, not too long ago, and I had a meeting at an African-American church, and I just left Pastor Reggie um, Holiday, is his name, at, at Bethany Fellowship, and uh, I was heading down to Charlotte, which is about you know, a 90-minute drive. And I hadn't eaten breakfast, and I hadn't eaten lunch. It's 1 o'clock, and I thought, I'm really hungry. I, and I see a sign for Ruby Tuesdays. I know they have really good salad bars, and I thought, you know, I, I should eat a salad I'm traveling. And so as I pulled into Ruby Tuesdays, on the other side of the parking lot, there was a Denny's. And this thought came to mind. I haven't had pancakes in a long time. <laughs> salad, pancakes. I don't know why I thought of that, but... I went for the pancakes. I went in, sat down, I ordered. A young lady, African-American girl, came up, and uh, she was taking care of me, and I said, uh, I got her name, her name was Tisha, and I said, Tisha, how how can I pray for you today? And uh, she looked at me kind of strange, and she said, well, I said, well, before you answer that, can you answer a question for me? And she said, sure. So she's wearing a six-inch crucifix, and I'll use the term gaudy, uh, with what appeared to be a gold bike chain uh, hanging around her neck, wearing this crucifix. And I said to her, I said, my, that, that is really an unusual crucifix that you're wearing. You know, most people wear a little, you know, something. And she just smiled and she shook her head. She goes, let me explain. I have a customer that comes in every Tuesday at 10 a.m. And he gets the same thing every week. But he gave this to me as a gift. And I wear it on Tuesdays because I know he's coming. And I just want him to know that I appreciate his thoughtfulness. Now, that's, that spoke to me that she was that considerate. I'm thinking he's left it by now. Why didn't she take that thing off? But, but then I said this to her. I said, well, do you know that Jesus is no longer on the cross? And she looked at me and I said, have you ever heard that he, you know, when he went to the cross, he, was, he died and he was buried and he rose again and she said, yeah, I've heard that when I was a kid. My grandmother used to take me to church. Long story short, I asked her if I could pray with her, and she said, well, I have some other tables I'm taking care of. And I thought, well, that was her way of just saying thanks, but no thanks. And then she walks away, and she stops, and she comes back and says, I'm going on break in about 15 minutes. Could you pray for me then? And I said, would you be able to sit down with me? She said, yeah, I can do that. And she came and she sat down. She has two kids. She has a hip problem. She's a single mom. I had Reggie's card in my pocket. And I said, here's a pastor just down the road, Bethany Fellowship. They have a food pantry. They have a clothing uh, closet. I said, I I really think that they would love to help your family, you and your kids. And uh, But I got into the gospel. And I had the privilege of leading Tisha to Christ that day. And I connected Tisha and Pastor Reggie gave her his card, 
And she works on Sundays, but she's taking her kids to their Awana program on Wednesday nights. Listen, I'm obligated. I'm eager. And I'm convinced of one. Who in your life is in need of a Savior? What got you here won't get you there. What are you and I, what are we willing to do with this? Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you that it speaks truth into our lives. God, my prayer is that we would not leave this place the same as when we entered in. But Lord Jesus, that you would bring to mind the things that we need to take from this place, that there are countless people in our lives that are in need of a Savior. And so move among us in a way that brings glory to you and helps us understand that our greatest days of faith are not yesterday, but today and tomorrow. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.